Well, I'm glad to be back. We are continuing our Connected series this morning about relationships. This morning talking about friendship. So a few months ago, my dad had taken a bunch of photos from when I was a kid, a bunch of our family photos, and he digitized them so we could have access to them without having to go through the shoe boxes and everything. So I was looking through some of the pictures, and I ran across a few pictures from my four-year-old birthday party. So here I am, four years old, blowing out the candles on the cake. That's my brother behind me, and you can see he appears ready to help uh, should I need help. He's as excited as I am about it. Uh, as I looked at the pictures, however, uh, I would run across photos like this one, and something occurred to me, and it was this. I don't know who any of these children are. I don't recognize them anymore other than my brother. Some of them were labeled and I might vaguely recognize some of the names. But for the most part, I didn't know who these kids were. I would scroll through the pictures and the other thing that made me laugh was I actually recognized the furniture more than I recognized the children. So I remember that sofa. I remember those tables. But I don't really remember those kids as I look at it. Maybe you have found that looking at old pictures of birthday parties or events from when you were a kid. And I started to ask myself, why is that? Why don't I remember those people? And, uh, you know, what I came to was fundamentally when we are two, three, four, five years old, for the most part, our parents choose our friends. Maybe they are kids of their friends, or maybe it's another kid in the class that you've mentioned a couple of times, and so your parents say you should invite him over to your party, or whatever it may be. Uh, it's not until you get older that you begin to deliberately think about who are the people you want to run with. Who are the people you want to be your friends? I remember for me, when that kind of locked into my mind that there was a group of people I wanted to be friends with, was right around fifth or sixth grade. I identified the group at my school that was the cool kids, at least as cool as you can be in fifth or sixth grade. And I said, I want to be in with those cool, popular kids. So, so for me, the way that I went about that, I was never necessarily the tallest or best looking or most athletic kid or whatever it may be, but I figured I could be the funniest kid. And so what I would do is I would stand in front of my mirror in my bathroom and I would practice my funny faces and my jokes so that I could go to school and I could impress the kids in this group. It worked because I remember my sixth grade year, one of these kids, his name was Hunter. I still remember Hunter coming up to me and he goes, Matt, it's amazing. Last year in fifth grade, you were really just a nerd. But this year, it's like you're one of us. And I remember thinking two things. One, I didn't think I was that much of a nerd last year. And two, I made it. I'm in the group. I'm one of them. I have my, my people. Because just like you, I also had a desire to know people and be known by people. That's been one of the primary themes as we've walked through the Connected series, is God has designed us for relationships. Everybody wants to have friends, Everybody wants to have people that they would say, these are my, my people, my crew that, that help me live my life, that encourage and strengthen me as I walk the pathway of life. And yet, I found out, as you probably have through your life, some friends are better than other friends. Some friends bring out the best in you, other friends bring out the worst in you. 
Some friends encourage you to know God better. Other friends encourage you to do things that are opposed to God's will. Some friends are loyal and they stick with you even when you're struggling, even when there are hard times. Some friends will desert you as soon as you're no longer the tallest or most athletic or funniest kid in the class. Some friends are better than other friends. And what we all long for are people who will help us walk out our lives the way that God intends to become the men and women that God wants us to be. As you read through the Bible, it is apparent that very few, if any, of the great men and women of God did great things for the kingdom of God all alone. When you think about the great men and women of God, I mean, think for a minute about Moses. He certainly had, he had Aaron by his side, but he also had Joshua, and he had others who helped carry him when he was weak, and helped walk with him when he didn't think he could make it. Moses, David, King David had his friend Jonathan, Daniel in Babylon had Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Naomi and Ruth were studying them in Bible study this semester. They had one another in a difficult situation as they left Moab and came to a hard place back in the promised land. As you get to the New Testament, Paul has friends. He has Barnabas. He has Silas. He has other people who serve him and also encourage him as he shares the gospel. Even Jesus has friends. Now we recognize Jesus' friends are far from perfect. The 12 disciples made a lot of mistakes and they sinned. But toward the end of his life, Jesus calls them his friends because they loved him and they believed in his mission. Nobody is meant to walk alone. No follower of God is meant to walk alone. Hebrews chapter 10, a passage you're probably familiar with. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. The writer of Hebrews says, if you want to just hold fast to the faith, If you want to say, I want to finish the race believing in Jesus, then he says, what you need to do is much like we're doing this morning. You gather together regularly and you remind one another of who Jesus is. You remind one another of what is true and how to walk with him. And he says, literally, you provoke or you stimulate one another to love and good deeds. That is, you need friends in your life, people in your life who will provoke you to do the things of God and to believe in the values of God's kingdom and to trust in Jesus to the end. You and I need those people. None of us is meant to walk the Christian life without friends. And it's not just walking the Christian life. Solomon in Ecclesiastes tells us that having friends actually just it eases our passageway through life itself. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. For if either of them falls, the one will lift up his companion. But woe to the one who falls when there is not another to lift him up. Furthermore, if two lie down together, they keep warm. But how can one be warm alone? And if one can overpower him who is alone, two can resist him. A cord of three strands is not quickly torn apart. Now Solomon is writing this in the context of of saying, uh, you know, if you are a person 
who has everything in life. You've got all the money you could possibly hope for. You've got all the possessions you need. You've got prestige. You've got a great reputation. You are trucking along in your life, but you don't have friends next to you. Then you're vulnerable and you're isolated and you're alone and bad things happen when people are alone. And so the consistent testimony of the scripture is we are meant to have friends. We're not meant to walk alone. You know, when I was a young adult and a college student, I heard a lot of sermons about dating and relationships and marriage. I heard very few, if any, that I can remember on the subject of friends and how critical they are to our lives. We're not meant to be alone, but the reality is that many of us are alone. We live in an isolated and lonely culture. A year or two ago, Cigna Health did a study to discern how lonely are Americans. And here's what they found. Roughly half of Americans would say that they feel lonely some or most of the time. In addition, only about half of Americans say that they, would, they have a meaningful in-person interaction with at least one other person every day. Think about that. Only half of us in America would say, I actually have some sort of meaningful conversation or interaction with another person every day. And the shocking thing they found, you know what the loneliest generation is from their study? It was Generation Z, those who are just entering adulthood. They're 18 to 23 right now. Many of them are still uh, under adult age. Those who are Generation Z, they reported higher levels of loneliness than any other generation. And also, interestingly, they reported that their health was worse than people who are in their 70s because of their isolation. Another study several years ago found that loneliness increases our risk of heart disease, type 2 diabetes, arthritis, and suicide. One study from 1988 found that the health risks of loneliness are worse than the risks of high blood pressure, lack of exercise, and smoking. The scripture says we're not meant to be alone, and that bears itself out in, in our culture and in our lives. We are often very connected but very isolated and alone. But what we long for is men and women who will walk alongside us, who will sharpen us and help us know God better. Proverbs 27, 17, another passage you're probably familiar with. As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. The idea is the people that you and I spend time with, they will impact us. The people you and I spend time with, they will impact us. What we hope is that we spend time with people who will sharpen us, that will will rub off our rough edges and make us more like the character of Jesus Christ. But the reality is the opposite can happen. I don't care whether you are 9 or 99, the reality is that you will be influenced by the people you spend the most time with. I I ran across another article while I was uh, studying for this message. This was from Psychology Today. They found that over time, people who are best friends start to physically resemble each other. And they asked, why is that? Now, it may be that people gravitate toward people who look like them in the first place, but they found that you actually change your appearance to look like those that you spend the most time with. And here's what they said. They think it's this. People may unconsciously mimic their friends' typical facial expressions or their body language, such as gestures, posture, and their gait. 
Over time, there is the possibility that friends' faces become more alike because of using similar facial expressions. Lots of frowning or laughing or looks of disgust may actually lead to changes in facial patterns. So think about the implications of that for a minute and think about the people you spend the most time with. Do you want your face to look like their face? This stuff matters. The reality is you will become like those you spend the most time with. So what we're going to talk about from the scripture for the next few minutes is what does the scripture say is a good friend? What are some of the qualities of a good friend? And as we talk about these qualities of a good friend, I want us to ask ourselves two questions. One, who are the people who are your closest friends and do they have these qualities? Now to be clear, I'm not saying that we cut everyone out of our lives who doesn't match this description. Not only would that be impossible, that's not what the Bible tells us to do. We are called to have an impact even on the lives of those who are struggling or are far from God. But what I am saying is I want us to think about who are those people, and probably it's a group of maybe two to five people in your life, that you would say, this is my crew. These are the people that I spend the most time with, that I allowed to influence me in the deepest places. Do they reflect the values of God's word? So think about that question. Who are the friends we're keeping? And then secondly, what kind of friend are you? Are you, am I, the kind of friend that I would want to have? Do I fit these characteristics so I can be a person who helps others know God and know Jesus better? So let's look at what the scripture says about good friends. First of all, a good friend is godly. A good friend is godly. We're going to be mostly in the book of Proverbs, so I'm going to show you several Proverbs this morning as we walk through this. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 26. The righteous is a guide to his neighbor, but the way of the wicked leads them astray. Now, it's helpful to know that you know, Solomon's writing Proverbs to one of his sons. We don't know which one, but he lays out two pathways throughout the book of Proverbs. There's the way of the righteous. There's the way of the wicked. There's the way of the wise. There's the way of the foolish. So you can go one path or the other path. And he's saying here that the people you choose to run with are largely going to determine which of those pathways you walk down. The way of the wise or the way of the foolish, the way of the righteous or the way of the wicked. Which one is it going to be? He says in Proverbs chapter 13, he who walks with the wise grows wise, but a companion of fools suffers harm. You walk with wise people, you'll become a wise person. You walk with a foolish person, you're more likely to become a foolish person. Here is the reality that uh, I've seen in my life. Most of my worst decisions have been made at the hands of negative influence from friends. So I I was thinking over the last couple of weeks about our, our oldest daughter is learning to drive. She'll get her license later this year. And in helping her learn to drive, one of the things that I learned was the state of Texas has a couple of laws about teenage drivers that did not exist when I was a teenage driver. So one of them is, if you're 16, you're, you're under 18, you can only put one other uh, minor or one other teenager in your car at a time unless they're related to you. So in other words, they can't do what we did when I was in high school and stuff 18 other teenagers into our Honda Civic. They're not allowed to do that. That's a good rule. The other one is you cannot be on the road between midnight and 5 a.m. until you're, I think, over 18. And again, another good rule. And here's why. 
Many of my worst decisions when I was a teenager involved vehicles, other teenagers, after midnight. And so the state of Texas has wisely realized that because what, what can happen to you is you might be with friends driving around and it's one, two in the morning and somebody says to you, hey, the speed limit doesn't really count at 1.30 a.m. because nobody else is out on the road. And you go, you know, that logic makes a certain amount of sense to my 17-year-old brain. And then somebody else in the back of the car says, I happen to have a bunch of canned biscuits. What if we threw them at the other vehicles as we are driving through the neighborhoods? And you think, boy, that, that would be super fun, right? So hypothetically, that kind of thing could happen to a kid if they were under the influence of negative peer pressure, right? So just like you, many of my worst decisions in life have been made at the hands of those who said, you know what, we're going to choose a pathway in this moment that is unwise, ungodly, unrighteous. This is why Paul will say in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, bad company corrupts good character. Or the way we might say it in our culture, some of you have heard this expression, you lie down with dogs, you wake up with fleas. Some of you had parents that said that or family who may have said that to you at some point. Here's another illustration from Proverbs chapter 22. Do not make friends with an angry person and do not associate with a wrathful person, lest you learn his ways and entangle yourself in a snare. If your closest friends are angry people, you're more likely to be an angry person. Closest friends are gossipy people, you're more likely to be a gossipy person. Closest friends are greedy people, you're more likely to be a greedy person, and so on. On the other hand, if your closest friends are righteous and godly people who say, let's walk in keeping with the values of God's word, that's more likely who you and I are going to become. And just as many of my worst decisions were made at the hands of negative peer pressure, my best ones have been made through the counsel of men and women in my life who have said, here's the pathway that you need to choose. Even if it seems hard right now, you can trust in the Lord. And so, are our friends those who are pushing us to know God better? And are we that kind of friend? It may be for some in the room, you say, I've got some friends that I know are not leading me in the direction I need to go. And at times in my life, even as an adult, I've found myself in that type of a position. And, and I've had to say, you know what, I'm not going to necessarily totally cut a person out of my life. I'm going to pray for him. I'm going to care for him. But maybe this person is no longer going to be right there in the inner circle because they're leading me to cynicism or anger or further from God. And I'm going to pour into those relationships as my closest friendships, those who will help me to know God and walk with Him. So a good friend is godly. Secondly, a good friend is honest. A good friend tells you the truth. Proverbs chapter 27, two, two verses from Proverbs 27. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but deceitful are the kisses of an enemy. And then verse 9. Oil and perfume make the heart glad, so a man's counsel is sweet to his friend. I love the close juxtaposition of these two verses in Proverbs because on the one hand, verse 6 says, look, if a person loves you, if they're really your friend, they're going to tell you the truth even if it hurts, even if it's hard for you to hear. 
But they're going to do it with kindness and sweetness and respect. All of us need those people in our lives that they know you and they love you and you have that relationship with, with them that they love you but they're not super impressed by you. And they're willing to tell you the truth. Years ago when it first came on the air, sometimes I used to watch American Idol. And there's a lot of shows out there like American Idol now, but uh, the basic idea is people audition to be the next big singer, right? So they want to go through several rounds, but the first round they stand in front of some expert judges, and the judges evaluate their singing and decide whether they get to go to the next round. Every season, though, there are always a few people in the early rounds that just cannot sing, I mean, they cannot carry a tune in a bucket with a gun to their head. They just, they cannot do it. And so they get up there and on national TV they begin to sing. And of course everybody is, is kind of silently laughing at them. And they figure why not let all of America laugh at them with the judges. Uh, so I, I, I watch it and it's, it's, it's interesting but it's also a little cringy. But every time I have watched the show in those early rounds, something else always comes into my mind. Who in this person's life did not tell them. Because you, you got to figure that somebody else heard them sing. Now, as I watch the show, unfortunately, quite often, it's, it's their mom, right? But uh, not always. Sometimes it's a friend or other friends or whatever, and they've been going around, and they've been singing in different places or singing for people, and they're terrible. I mean, not, I'm like objectively terrible. And nobody says anything. And then, then they escalate it and they go, hey, I am going to go and try out to sing on national television for American Idol. And these people around them go, thumbs up, totally do that. You should do that thing. <laughs> what do they need? They need somebody in their life that will pull them aside and say, hey, friend, you have a lot of gifts and a lot of strengths and a lot of abilities. This is not one. Please don't do this. I'm begging you. Somebody who will tell the truth even when it hurts. We need those people who will, who will see our lives close up enough and care enough about us that when there's a pattern of disobedience to God, a pattern of an attitude of, of despair or, or lack of submission to God, a challenge in our lives where we need somebody to come in and say, I'm seeing this in your life. Everybody needs those sort of friends who will do so truthfully, but also respectfully and kindly. Most of us have had the experience of coming home from a party or an event, and you look in the mirror as you're getting ready for bed, and there's something coming out of your nose or out of your ear or something on your face that you see, and you think immediately what? You go, how long has that been there? And how many people saw it and didn't say anything? This actually happened to me a couple of weeks ago on our Creekside Men's Retreat. I woke up in the morning and I was talking to people through breakfast and throughout the morning. I mean, probably 30 minutes, an hour, talking to people. And then I was talking to somebody else on the retreat. And, and a couple of minutes into the conversation, he goes, Hey, Matt, hey, Matt, I just need to tell you that you have a line of toothpaste going from the corner of your mouth all the way down to your chin. And I just, I needed you to know that. I didn't want you to walk around like that all day. And I said to him, you are my only friend here. <laughs> because I've been walking around like that for how long? Having all kinds of conversations looking like I missed my face with the toothbrush and nobody said anything. But he said, I'm going to tell you the truth in this moment, even though it was a little embarrassing. 
while I stood there and went like that and went, is it gone? Is it gone? Is it gone? Right? We need those people who are willing to step in kindly yet truthfully. Let me give you one more, more serious illustration from earlier in my life. When I was in my 20s and I was just beginning to learn how to teach and to preach, a friend of mine, a wiser older friend who knew me well, he came and he heard me teach one, one week. And then a couple of days later, we sat down and he gave me some feedback. He said, I want to give you some input. I said, great. And he began with the positive. He said, there's some things you're, you're doing really well. And I really appreciated the way you walked through the text and this and this and this. And he said, but there's a, there's a flaw and it could be fatal to your preaching. He said, you didn't connect as well as I think you could have. And here's why. Because it was so clear that you were more concerned about people liking you than speaking the truth. Right, and my initial internal reaction to that was, shut up. I don't want to hear that. But I walked away, and there was, the, there was this wound from what he said. But as I walked away, and I processed it, and I realized the truth behind it, that began a transformation in my life that I still look back on and go, that was a pivotal moment in my life because somebody, instead of being afraid of saying the hard thing, was willing to step in because he knew me well and knew what needed to be said and to take that risk. So a good friend is godly. Secondly, a good friend is honest. Thirdly, a good friend is trustworthy. Now, I mean something by this a little bit different from what I mean by honest. And let me show the passages and I think you'll understand. Proverbs chapter 11, verse 13. He who goes about as a talebearer reveals secrets, but he who is trustworthy conceals a matter. And then Proverbs chapter 20, verse 19, he who goes about as a slanderer reveals secrets, therefore do not associate with a gossip. Now in these passages, there are a couple of different words used in the Hebrew language for the slanderer and the gossip. The gossip is the person who just doesn't seem to be able to help themselves. They get all of the juicy dirt on everybody and they just have to, have to tell somebody. They don't, they don't necessarily mean badly. But, but their Twitter audience just has to be fed. And so they, they find all the dirt and they tell it to everybody or they, they share it out in public. The other is the slanderer. This is the person who in order to make themselves look better and you look smaller, they gather this information intentionally and then they strategically release it out to the world. That person is a little bit more devious. But Proverbs says, hey, you stay away from both of those people. There's a, there's a famous quote from Alice Roosevelt Longworth, the daughter of Teddy Roosevelt. She was a socialite in the 1920s. She said, hey, if you don't have something nice to say about someone, please come sit next to me. And the proverb says, hey, that's the type of person you want to stay away from. And you say, well, how do I know if, if I'm dealing with that type of person? Here's typically how you know. Because the odds are extremely high, they will bring somebody else's secrets to you and begin to share them. And at some point it will occur to you, if they're a gossip with somebody else's stuff, they're probably a gossip with my stuff as well. And they'll carry it somewhere else. And so the proverb says, do you have those people in your life who are trustworthy, that are, that are willing to keep your confidences. Now, to be clear, I'm not talking about a person 
who will keep your secrets when it's truly harmful to you or another person to do so. I'm not saying you need a friend that if you're building a dark and vast criminal enterprise, they need to sign a blood oath to go to their grave about the bodies that you've hidden. That's not what I'm getting at. What I am saying is that there are often in our lives moments in which we need to process thoughts and feelings that we, we may know that at the moment we're struggling with something that isn't consistent with God's Word. We have thoughts, we have fears, we have concerns, and we need to be able to share them with somebody who will point us in the right direction and encourage us, but then lock it in a vault and not take it somewhere else. We need those friends that maybe even as we are processing a thought that isn't fully formed about something going on in our lives and we say, I know, I know that I need help in this area. They'll listen. And they'll pray. And then they'll lock it in a vault. Are those who are our closest friends, those who are trustworthy, are we friends who are trustworthy? So a good friend is godly, honest, trustworthy, and then fourthly, a good friend is loyal. Two Proverbs, Proverbs 18, 24, a man of too many friends comes to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Now many people reading Proverbs 18 have seen in it the character of Jesus himself, and I think that's, I think that's good. I think that the character of Jesus is reflected in Proverbs 18. He is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. I'm going to talk about that in just a minute. But I think even beyond that, as, as Solomon is writing Proverbs, he's going to say, look, a person, son, who has tons and tons of friends who's always surrounded by people, especially when the party's going on and you've got something to offer, that person is going to have a hard time discerning which of these friends is going to stick with me when times are hard, when I have less to offer. So he says, a man of too many friends comes to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Notice he doesn't say there are a dozen friends or there are eight friends. or He says there is a friend. Most of us throughout the course of our lives, we may have one or two or three people like this that stick closer than a brother. They're the people that when your car breaks down on Saturday night in Hempstead, they come and pick you up. They're the people that they're the first to show up in the hospital and the last to leave when you are sick. They are the ones that are the first to step in and defend your reputation when it's being slandered. And they're the ones that don't drop your friendship when you're in the midst of crisis or struggle. There is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. On the flip side of that, Proverbs chapter 25 verse 19 says, Like a bad tooth and an unsteady foot is confidence in a faithless man in time of trouble. I don't know if you've ever had a bad tooth. I have had a couple of uh, bad, painful teeth in my life. And it, uh, if you've ever experienced this, you know how painful it can be. Now, when you're small, when you're a kid, if you have a tooth that, that isn't real reliable and it begins to wiggle and maybe it even falls out, you know, that that's, that's a normal part of the process. And in fact, your parents are expected to pay you money when that happens. I think the going rate, kids, you can tell your parents, is about $18 per tooth right now. Okay? So your parents are expected, I'm kidding, by the way, children, 
It's like a dollar, maybe, most, okay? So your parents are expected to pay. That's normal, right? But when you're a grown-up and that happens to a tooth, nobody pays you for that. And in fact, you have to pay somebody else to fix that. So I've had a few instances in my life where I've had a tooth, you bite into an apple and it's sensitive and you feel this pain that shoots from your mouth to your head all the way back down to your feet. And you have a choice in those moments. You can say, I'm going to go to the dentist and I'm going to pay him to fix this tooth. Or the other option is, I will just eat everything from the other side of my mouth from here on out. Which I've chosen sometimes. Because I can't rely on this one. Right? right when I need it to do its job, it lets me down. Same thing with an unsteady foot or if you've ever had a bad knee or a, a bad foot and what's the problem? Right when you put weight on it, right when you need it, what happens? It buckles. It falls out from under you. Proverbs says that's like a faithless man in time of trouble. Do you and I look for, pray for, seek out those people that in those moments where we need to press our weight on the friendship, they stay? And are we the type of friend that when somebody else needs to press their weight into us, we're there? As I mentioned before from Proverbs chapter 18, I think Jesus is the ultimate example of a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Scripture tells us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Right when we needed to press the weight of our lives, of our sin, on Him. He bore it for us. He didn't run away. He didn't buckle. He didn't drop us. So even as I talk about friendships this morning... I know there are probably a few of you in the room that you hear this and you think, I don't have a friend. I don't even have one. And I certainly don't have a friend that meets these criteria, who has these qualities. But the joyful message of the scripture this morning is that you you should know, we all should know, we have one in Jesus. We have a friend who is always truthful who always does what is right, who we can always trust, and who always stays. If you don't know Jesus Christ, you should know by by trusting in Him for forgiveness of sins and eternal life, you have a friend who will never leave. Romans chapter 8 says, nothing can separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And then if you know Jesus Christ, then through the power of His Spirit, you and I are called to reflect His character. And that's why that means endeavoring to be the type of friend who reflects these qualities and seeking out friends who will help us reflect these qualities because ultimately what we're trying to do with our lives, with our words, with our relationships, what we're trying to do is reflect and proclaim the character of Jesus, the one friend who will always stick closer than any other friend that we have. That's our desire, that's our need, that's our hope, is to seek out those types of friends and then to be that type of friend. So as we close then, I want us to ask again a couple of, couple of questions. The first one is this. What kind of friends do you keep? 
Again, think about those people that are, are the closest sphere of influence in your life, outside of your family. Think about your friends, those that you would say, the one, two, three, four people who really influence me in the deepest way. Can you honestly say that they are influencing you to walk closer with Jesus Christ and to reflect his character? Now, some of you I know, again, you may say, I don't have those kind of friends. I don't know where I'd find those kind of friends. I've looked for those kind of friends and I haven't found them. Let me offer a couple of thoughts as, as we think about Hebrews chapter 10, again, that we ought to be continually gathering together to spur one another on to love and good deeds. What the writer of Hebrews seems to be indicating is that the greatest place for us to find those sorts of friends is in the body of Christ. That as we gather together with others who are following Jesus Christ, the hope is that we will begin to find those who will walk alongside of us. And so my my encouragement is twofold. One, begin to pray. If you say, I'm alone, you begin to pray, God, I just want one friend who will walk with me and help me know Jesus. I just need one. And then secondly, begin to engage, begin to initiate. If you're not yet in a home group or a Bible study or some sort of group where you can learn the Word of God with those who also want to orient their lives around the Word of God, where you can connect with people who will help you better connect with Jesus Christ. If you're not in that kind of a group, I would strongly encourage you to consider getting in one. You can find information about that on our website. You can talk to Dusty. You can talk to Chris. You can talk to me. We can help you find that kind of a group. Begin to engage, and then as you go into that group, begin to pray and observe, who are the people in this group that I might say, you know, I I want to spend some time with this person because this is a person who is wise, walking with Jesus, and, and walking the pathway of wisdom. Don't go up to the person in the first week and say, I need you to be my best friend this afternoon. You'll freak them out. Just invite them for coffee, invite them for lunch. Invite them to do something together and begin to initiate those relationships. Because I think often what, what I've seen happen, I know I've, I've heard this uh, happen as a pastor. Somebody will come to me either about our church or about another church that they attended and they'll say, you know, I, I went there for a while, but I never really connected. I never really found people. Right? And sometimes it may be that they happen to find a pocket of people who are particularly misanthropic and don't want to make friends. That, that's possible. But often as I begin to to ask some more questions, hey, what'd you do to connect? Did you try to connect with a Bible study? Well, no, I, I I just don't have time to do that. Did you try to connect with some kind of service opportunity where you could serve alongside or go on a trip, a mission trip like, like Dusty mentioned earlier, alongside those who share the values of God's word? Well, no, I just, I couldn't do that. I don't have time. I needed my sleep, whatever it may be. Well, did you engage with people at least on Sunday morning? Well, no, I, I expected other people to engage with me. After all, I was, I was new. I'd only been there three and a half years. Right? <laughs> and see, what often happens is we wait passively. And then we say, nobody found me. Let me challenge us. Pray and then engage. What kind of friends do you keep? Are you seeking out and praying for those who will help you walk with Jesus? And then secondly, what kind of a friend are you? 
Again, as I, as I was looking through all of these passages over the last couple of weeks, I kept coming back to that question, am I the sort of friend that I would want to have? Am I the sort of friend that I would want to have? Am I growing in my character as I walk with Jesus Christ? Am I truthful? Am I trustworthy? Am I helping people toward godliness? Am I loyal and faithful, even when it might be challenging? What kind of friends do we keep? What kind of friend are we? Will we begin to pray, God, I I want to have the sort of friends that will help me know and follow Jesus Christ. And then I want to be the sort of friend that reflects and proclaims him. Let's pray. Father, we're so thankful for your word. We pray that you would, through your spirit's power, give us the humility and the power to obey. Lord, I know that in this room this morning, almost certainly, there are some people who feel totally alone, who don't have a friend, or feel that they don't have a a friend at all. I pray, remind them that you are their friend. And then, Lord, we pray that you would provide each person with running companions, people who will run with them as they pursue Jesus Christ. Father, we pray we would also be those sorts of friends to others so that we can reflect the kindness and the truthfulness and the grace of Jesus. Lord, we thank you and we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful week.